focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us on this Monday, uh, we have Han Dan and Son Bo-kyung. Guys, welcome back. Good, Good evening. evening. All right, so uh, let's start things off with President Yoon Sa-gyar, of course, having returned home after uh, wrapping up his uh, three-nation tour to the UK, the US, and Canada, where he met with a number of uh, world leaders there. Tan, start us off with this. Uh, President Yoon, as always, when he uh, leaves for work, uh, he has a uh, doorstepping session. Uh, what, what did he tell his reporters today about his recent trip? Well, first off, President Yoon stressed that he will normalize strained South Korea-Japan relations no matter how difficult things may get. Assessing that Seoul-Tokyo relations have deteriorated a bit too much during the previous Moon administration, the president said uh, he'll make continual efforts to improve ties with Japan. He added Korean and Japanese companies are also eager to normalize relations of the two neighboring countries, saying he's confident that if relations are normalized, it'll be mutually beneficial to companies in both countries, adding more jobs and creating more investment. Yun held an informal meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly in New York, uh, which marked the first summit between the leaders of the two countries in nearly three years. The top office later assessed that the 30-minute summit, albeit short, marked the first important step in resolving remaining bilateral issues. About talks with President Biden on the controversial U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, President Yoon first explained why the highly anticipated formal South Korea-U.S. summit was shortened to just a brief meeting. He said it was very difficult to hold talks with U.S. president for a long time as the leaders from over 100 countries gathered for major events in the U.K. And so he told his aides not to overly push for the summit. President Biden's shortened stay in New York, he says, also made it more difficult to materialize a formal summit. Uh, but he did make clear that our government has confirmed that Mr. Mr. Biden is well aware of Korea's concerns and agreed to continue talks on ways to ward off possible disadvantages to South Korean firms. Further discussions are expected to be made during ministerial-level meetings. President Yoon picked his keynote speech at the UN General Assembly as the most significant achievement during his three-nation tour, as he has conveyed to the world that South Korea is a nation that seeks universal value of freedom, peace, human rights, and the rule of law, uh, and is also a responsible member of the international community that strongly seeks global solidarity. Yeah, even though the uh, highly anticipated summit talk between uh, President Yoon and Joe Biden uh, didn't happen, I think with all the uh, South Korean officials uh, in every chance that they can get, they did bring up the topic of the Inflation Reduction Act. And so uh, I'm sure even though uh, President Yoon didn't directly bring it up to Joe Biden, uh, that uh, Washington knows uh, what's the biggest concern uh, for South Korea at this time. Uh, President Yoon also making his uh, first response uh, to that uh, controversy surrounding his uh, informal remarks caught on hot mic after a meeting hosted by President Biden over in New 
York, I'm sure, uh, here in, in Korea. I mean, it was talked about quite a bit. Uh, what, what did he say on, on this front? Well, he told reporters today that false media reports of his remarks hurt South Korea-U.S. alliance and jeopardizes the Korean people. He said that no countries, except for the very few superpowers, can fully protect its country and the people without the help from close allies, once again stressing the importance of South Korea-U.S. alliance. He added that we must first get to the bottom of how such reports circulated and reveal the truth about it. Last week, President Yoon was caught on video making a remark privately to his aides in New York, which, according to some media reports, appear to include vulgar words. Um, I, I just want to kind of just mention briefly in regards to this, uh, the impact of translations. Uh, and uh, Pogil, I know you, you do a lot of uh, work on you know translation and interpretation and things like that. Uh, but... I had a chance to read a lot of the foreign media outlets and uh, how they covered this very mm. issue and uh, whether or not President Yoon said it or not. Uh, the way that they translated it, I was not a big fan of the translation. It was the way that it was translation, translated, it, was, it sounded a lot more harsh mm. than what it was. Uh, there were certain words in there. There were F-bombs. I, I don't, I don't, there was not no F-bombs in there. A I, lot more mm. condescending to yeah. the U.S. Congress yeah, than what yeah. it actually means in Korean. Yeah, and I think this is really dangerous because mm. it really could cause a huge rip, like a diplomatic right. you know, problem between the two mm-hmm. countries. Uh, and uh, this is, again, the power of translation there, I'm sure. I don't know if any of our listeners had a chance to follow up on the news or uh, see the translation of what was apparently said, um, but I, I don't agree with the translation is what I want to say. Uh, another outcome of last week's visit to the U.S. and also Canada was the so-called uh, core mineral diplomacy. Is, I'm sure maybe some, some of our listeners maybe have heard of uh, the Minerals of Security Partnership that the U.S. has been pushing for since uh, earlier this year. Uh, First and foremost, what's the progress up to now and what can we expect on that front? Right. So with last week's visit, the South Korean government is gearing up with its core mineral diplomacy. Last week, when President Yoon visited Ottawa and met with the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, both leaders agreed to boost cooperation on the critical mineral supply chain. Also last week, on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, the Minerals Security Partnership meeting was held as well, which was presided over by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. South Korea, led by Foreign Minister Park Jin, was one of the 11 countries to take part. So the first thing here we should know is how dependent we are in terms of core minerals. The import amount of these six core minerals and materials, including lithium and cobalt, from the major five countries such as China and Chile accounts for more than 60%. Especially import from China accounts the most with 37%. So when it comes to lithium, which is the core material in making batteries, we're almost 80% dependent. And for rare earth elements, we are about 73% dependent. So because of all this background, the South Korean government is gearing up its pace to lower pace to lower dependency on certain countries and to secure a stable core minerals supply chain. 
For instance, South Korea is working on establishing a coordination center for rare earth elements in Mongolia. And it also agreed to deepen strategic partnership with Canada on critical mineral supply chain. And not to mention, the UN administration is also actively taking part in the U.S.-led MSP meeting. However, despite the government's ambitions to secure a stable supply of core minerals and to beef up economic security, close cooperation with the private sector will not be that simple, and China can also become a burden as well. For example, sharing critical information with battery and semiconductor companies could be a little bit difficult. Also, there could be a gap between what the government is trying to pursue, like the MSP led by the U.S., and what the business actually need in the market. Experts say that countries will take part in the U.S.-led initiative, but countries that need the rare earth elements from China will have to build separate relationships with China. Yeah, you know, I mean, lithium, obviously, I mean, there's also controversy over how you know, lithium is mined as well. It's not the, the most pleasant way that uh, they're, they're, they're mined. And also rare earth elements and the lack of it and uh, the heavy dependence on Chinese rare earth was something that was also mentioned even during the Trump administration. I mean, it was, it was, it was a big thing. Uh, now, obviously, we have a number of uh, countries that are involved uh, with this mineral security partnership. But uh, are there any benefits given to those countries joining uh, this partnership? So apparently, yes. Experts say that the U.S. government may provide some carrots to its MSP partners. In fact, State Department Undersecretary Fernandez visited lithium-rich Mexico last week and introduced the tax benefits and subsidies of our IRA, stressing that Mexico should become a partner as well as other countries. Yeah, I mean, the, these uh, the key materials are going to be, be the big thing. You know, we talked about the semiconductors. Uh, obviously, now everything needs a semiconductor chip, a memory chip. Uh, now everyone's going to need lithium for all those uh, EV vehicles that are going to be built. And so uh, there's going to be a big fight for this. Uh, but the, the fact is, again, uh, China has a huge, uh, huge chunk of the, the rare earth uh, minerals uh, elements and also not to mention uh, lithium and cobalt, as Po Gyeong uh, just briefly mentioned there. Uh, in the meantime, South Korea and the United States are kicking off their combined naval exercise. Uh, this involving this massive nuclear-powered U.S. aircraft carrier. Uh, Tan, give us the details of this. Right. The four-day exercise kicked off today in the East Sea involving the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier USS Ronald Reagan. This marks the first joint drills involving a U.S. aircraft carrier in five years. The Allied navies will train various drills on anti-ship and anti-submarine warfare operations, tactical maneuvers, and other maritime combat operations. The two allies mobilized more than 20 vessels, including the carrier and the key South Korean warships, such as the 7,600-ton Aegis destroyer Seoedu Songnyong and the 4,400-ton Munmu the Great Destroyer. The naval drills also involved the nuclear-powered USS Annapolis submarine to train detection and tracking of the enemy's underwater warship. This, as North Korea appears to be making preparations to test a submarine-launched ballistic missile, according to the South Korean military uh, and top U.S. think tanks. Aside from maritime time assets, the Allies also deployed an assortment of aircraft, including FA-18E Super Hornets, P-3 and P-8 maritime surveillance aircraft, 
F-15K and KF-16 fighter jets and AH-64E Apache helicopters. The drills come as Seoul and Washington ramp up steps to deploy U.S. strategic assets to deter North Korean provocations, as agreed between Presidents Yoon Suk-yeol and Joe Biden during their summit in May. In a press release, the South Korean military said the allies will further improve capabilities for the Navy's combined operations and maintain a firm maritime defense posture based on the solid South Korea-U.S. alliance. Strike Group Commander Michael Donnelly said the ROK-U.S. alliance is the strongest alliance in the world and is getting stronger through regular drills and close partnership. That's right. And uh, interesting that you mentioned uh, a lot of activity when it comes to uh, North Korea, of course, possibly soon conducting another SLBM test. Uh, there's been a lot of activity at their Shimpo uh, shipyard as well. Uh, but over the weekend, uh, what we heard was that North Korea fired a short-range ballistic missile this towards the East Coast uh, again Sunday morning. Pogyan, let's get the details of this. Right. So I think we saw this coming. Yeah. So according to South Korea's Joint Chief of Staff, a single short-range ballistic missile was fired from an area on the west coast near Taechon County, Pyeonghanbuk-do province, just before 7 a.m. Sunday. South Korea's military said the missile flew around 600 kilometers at an altitude of some 60 kilometers and at a speed of Mach 5. Right after the launch, an emergency meeting of the National Security Council was held to further prepare for any further provocations. And this is the first launch since the regime fired eight short-range ballistic missiles in one day on June 5th. The missile was launched after the nuclear-powered aircraft carrier USS Ronald Reagan arrived in Busan on Friday to take part in the joint drills, which will be run for the next four days, starting today. Also, U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris is also scheduled to visit Seoul this week. Meanwhile, a South Korean military official said that there could be additional launches by the North because Seoul had earlier detected signs that Pyongyang may be preparing to test a submarine-launched ballistic missile. All right, so uh, will we get any kind of uh, response from uh, maybe the United States and also from Japan? Right, so right after the launch, Seoul's special representative for Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, Kim Gon, spoke on the phone with his American and Japanese counterparts. And all three officials said the launch was a violation of UN Security Council resolutions. South Korea and the U.S. pledged to maintain their combined defense capabilities, and all three sides agreed to strengthen trilateral relations. Uh, usually, though, uh, when North Korea uh, test fires missiles, you get uh, you know assessment reports, you get pictures of its missile launches, uh, KCNA all over the reports on this, but. Not the first time, uh, but again, this time as well, it remains silent uh, since its latest uh, launch on Sunday. Tan, uh, let's get some implications of why they're so silent over the latest uh, missile test. Actually, if you recall, when North Korea launched a new type of intercontinental ballistic missile in February and March this year, they announced that it has conducted a very important test under the plan of developing a reconnaissance satellite, even releasing a music video 
videotaped footage starring leader Kim Jong-un to mark the successful launch. And after firing off two cruise missiles last month, the North corrected, kindly corrected, the South Korean military's analysis confirming that they were fired off not from Uncheon, as South Korea suspected, but from Anju in Pyongan province. But after Sunday's launch, it remained silent so far, and experts say this may mean that North Korea is attempting to show the world that the launch was carried out in accordance with its own plans to strengthen its defense capabilities. Park Won-gun, a professor of North Korea studies at Ihua Women's University, interpreted the silence as a message that North Korea is strengthening its national defense capabilities like other countries do in accordance with normal procedures and plans. But he also said there's uh, also a possibility that North Korea may be trying to confuse Seoul and Washington by hiding missile specifics. Another top expert, Tang Young-gun, said when North Korea does not mention about missile specifics, it could mean that it's not a development test of a new missile, uh, or it could also mean that the missile's operation capabilities in various scenarios have not yet been verified. Yeah, another reason why they might uh, stay silent in some cases, and we've seen this case as well, is when, let's say the test fire was, it it failed, right? That's the other thing that uh, we see. Uh, We've also seen cases where they remain silent as to not irk China. Uh, Of course, there's been times where China is like, listen, I mean, you guys are doing too much of this, and you're bringing too much focus uh, into this area and uh, we want none of that because Washington is going to be uh, all over it. Uh, but speaking of China, uh, North Korea and China have resumed freight train services after a five-month suspension due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Tal, let's also get more on this. Right. According to Yonhap News Agency, a freight train departed from the Chinese border city of Dandong for North Korea's Shinuiju at around 7.45 a.m. this morning. According to the news outlet citing sources in China, freight operations have been normalized as the pandemic situation stabilized in North Korea. The sources projected the train to operate once or twice a day. A source in Dandong explained that the cargo-loaded train that was previously barred from entering North Korea due to COVID-19 appears to have entered the reclusive state after about 150 days. Operations of freight trains connecting North Korea and China were suspended in August 2020 after North Korea closed borders amid COVID spread. Borders reopened in January this year, but were shut down again in late April. North Korea requested resumption of freight operations after declaring the end of COVID-19 and victory over the virus last month as it continued to struggle from supply shortages. Dandong, which accounts for over 70 percent of North Korea-China trade, has also suffered huge economic losses from COVID shutdown. Experts have warned that the reclusive state's isolation has hammered its already fragile economy and exacerbated food shortages that have resulted in widespread chronic malnutrition. According to the Bank of Korea, North Korea's economy shrank an estimated 0.1% last year, following a 4.5% decline in 2020. I just want to quickly mention uh, both of our reporters uh, for uh, this particular segment. They're trilingual. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Tan, I believe you're fluent in Chinese. Well, not, well, you're pretty uh, good in Chinese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can speak just a little bit. And uh, I believe uh, Po Gyeong, she speaks uh, fluent German as well. Uh, speaking of German, uh, Patrick Pierzer. Uh, wow, I did been a really long time. Good to see you once again, Patrick Pierzer. Uh, when it responds to all the, uh, the rare earth elements and that we've talked about lithium and cobalt and things like that, uh, he says, in Germany, we're now developing batteries with aluminum, natrium, and sulfur. Uh, first results are very positive, and 
no lithium uh, anymore. Uh, it seems like these batteries are better off uh, than the uh, the lithium ones. Uh, Hooligan KJ, in response to uh, this uh, the controversial remark by President Yoon, uh, Hooligan KJ says the essence is lost in translation. As I always say, the, the, the fact is, it's not the essence was lost in the translation. I think they added too much essence into that translation, and that was a big problem there. Uh, nevertheless, uh, thank you very much for your comments there. Uh, let's move on. Massive news uh, in the economy sector. Teo Shipbuilding uh, signing an MOU with Hanwha Group on a conditional sale here. Pogyong, start us off. Uh, what, what, what does this mean? Right. So according to Korea Development Bank, Hanwha Group signed an MOU with South Korea's Teo Shipbuilding and Marine Engineering. With Hanwha Group planning to invest 2 trillion won, which is equivalent to 1.4 billion, in return for a 49.3% stake and managerial control in the shipbuilder. The agreement was signed with the affiliates of Hanhua Group, including Hanhua Aerospace and Hanhua Systems, and will only be valid if Hanhua is chosen after a period of being open to other bids. This is called a stalking horse bid, in which the preliminary bidder suggests its price ahead of an open auction, and other bidders submit their prices later. A public bid for DSME will be announced on Tuesday, and potential investors will have three weeks to carry out due diligence on the shipbuilder. The history of DSME deal goes way back. Back in the IMF crisis, DSME was put under a workout program initiated by KDB back then and other creditors in 1999. And since then, DSME was faring quite well with handling overseas orders. Since 2001, KDB has made many efforts to privatize DSME, but wasn't successful back then as there were disagreements over price. And then in 2008, DSME's sales efforts gathered speed again, and Hanhua was chosen as a preferred bidder, but had to back down amid the 2008 financial crisis again. And then DSME was hit by a deceptive accounting scandal in 2015, and since then, KDB and other creditors have injected about 4.2 trillion won into the company. And then one more bidder was there, Hyundai Heavy Industries, in 2019. But they also failed to win approval from the EU. So then, since then, it was again I Hanwha. remember that. Yeah, I remember right. that uh, very issue. That wasn't uh, too far long ago. But uh, it really is unfortunate for uh, Taewoo Shipbuilding and Marine Engineering because at one point, I mean, it was one of the biggest uh, shipbuilding companies out there. Uh, let's move on to other issues uh, related to the economy, uh, something that we've been following very carefully, uh, not just the stock market, but also the uh, the currency exchange. First and foremost, South Korea's benchmark Cosby plunged more than 3%, uh, closing at its lowest level in more than two years and two months. Not to mention the Korean won dipping below the 1,431, and this, again, the lowest in 13 years. And, uh, I mean, are we surprised? No, because this comes as the U.S. Fed's uh, latest decision to raise its target interest rate by 75 basis point continues to weigh in on the markets. Tan, break down the numbers for us here. SJ, the Cosby tumbled more than 3%, closing at 2,220.94 today, down by over 69 points from the previous day, with foreigners dumping local stocks worth a net 5.89 billion won. Negative sentiment and fears over possible global recession amid aggressive U.S. rate hikes weighed in on markets, dragging Cosby down to the lowest level in more than two years. The local currency hit a fresh 
uh, 13-year low, ending at 1431.31 against the greenback, down 22-1 from the previous session's close. The one fell to as low as 1435.4 per dollar during the day. The one slide came as the dollar rallied following the Fed's latest decision to raise its target interest rate by 75 basis points for a third straight time. Fears were exacerbated as the Fed hinted at further large rate hikes, including another 75 basis point increase this year. The UK government's announcement of tax cuts and imminent victory of the far-right government in Italy also dampened investor sentiment on the same day. Experts projected the market could plunge further amid growing fears as it tumbled today, even though there was no change in key indicators, such as figures from the FOMC or the U.S. inflation. The Korean currency has fallen at a fast pace in recent months amid global monetary tightening. The one has depreciated around 17 percent against the dollar so far this year. The government is making various efforts to stabilize the exchange market, which include the Bank of Korea and the National Pension Services Agreement, on a temporary $10 billion currency swap deal. The deal will allow the NPS to access the BOK's foreign reserves to secure dollars rather than from the spot market to fund its overseas investment, which is expected to help ease dollar demand in the spot market. Yeah, whether or not that's going to work is a key because it doesn't seem like, the first and foremost, a U.S. Fed. I mean, they're not going to slow down with their interest rate hike. And uh, we've talked about this before. The BOK, they do plan uh, to increase their rate hike, but it's not going to be like a giant slip like the U.S. Fed. I think uh, some people are saying that maybe... Uh, the BOK might raise it 50 basis point, which is another big step. We already had a big step raise uh, earlier this year, which was unprecedented. But, you know, for many of our overseas listeners, uh, if you're going, well, how come uh, you just, kind of, just can't keep up with the U.S. Fed? Well, because of all the household debt, right? I mean, there's a lot of people already struggling uh, to pay off their mortgages because of already uh, skyrocketing interest rates. And uh, even though we say, like, you know, it's, you know, it's uh, like 2.5, 2.75, whatever, uh, the, the interest rate at banks is much higher than that. And so uh, this is certainly causing a lot of ripple effects, Uh from the U.S. Fed uh, raising their interest rates there. Um, let's see. Uh, Jaiman says you, one U.S. dollar is huge in Korea here. One U.S. dollars is 79. I can't. I, I don't know how to pronounce uh, that. But uh, yeah, I mean, the U.S. dollars uh, certainly skyrocketing in, in value right now. And uh, Tan said it was it was at the 17 percent. It's been depreciating. I remember just last month uh, when I was uh, reporting on this, it was just 11 percent. It's already gone up uh, that much. Guys, uh, you know, let, let's end on a on a positive note here. Uh, we, we always like this, right? And uh, talk about some uh, music-related stuff. Blackpink. Uh, always been a big fan of Blackpink. Uh, they became the first K-pop girl group to top the Billboard 200 album charts there. They also made some record, I believe, over in the UK as well. Pokyang, tell us what the, what uh, Blackpink was able to accomplish here. Right, so this is a little bit of an exciting piece than the others. So according to Billboard, Blackpink became the first K-pop girl group to take the number one spot on US Billboard. Blackpink's second full-length album, Born Pink, that was released on September 16, took the number one spot on Billboard 200, with 102,000 equivalent album units earned. 
It's even more significant because the band is the first female group to reach number one since 2008. And Blackpink also became the fourth K-pop group to rise to the top of the Billboard 200 following BTS, Super M and Stray Kids and they were all boy groups. The latest album, Born Pink, holds mostly English-written songs, while the other two K-pop albums that topped the chart this year were mostly written in Korean. The Billboard 200 ranks the most popular albums of the week in the U.S., measured by equivalent album units, comprising physical album sales and other digital sales records. And on Friday, local time, Born Pink claimed the number one spot from Britain's official albums chart top 100 as well. This makes Blackpink the only female Asian band to simultaneously top the British and U.S. Billboard charts. According to a Korean music market tracker, the album has also broken the record for the biggest first week sales by a K-pop girl group in history by selling more than 1.54 million copies in the week. Uh, <laughs> Jaimin says Blackpink is queen of South Korea it seems at this time uh, Blackpink is like the queen of the world right now I, mm. I actually had a chance to, so I bought their first album uh, I think this was like two, two years ago I think it was I bought their first uh, full what was the title song of that album the, the first one mm. uh, it, well it had Ice Cream with uh, Selena Gomez I mm. believe uh, that was one of the songs I forget what other song was it. I bought it because I had stocks for, <laughs> for YG yeah I had YG <laughs> Everybody listen up. SJ doesn't even remember what the title song of the Blackpink's first album is. And now he's bragging that he's bought the first album of Blackpink. I thought if there was an increase in album sales, the stock price. Stock price. But I did get a chance to listen to uh, the recent album. I, I stream it now. I, I signed it because I started working out these days and I need a good, good song. It's a good album, right? And it, it's... I'm not surprised it's doing so well uh, in the the U.S. Billboard and the U.K. Uh, Billboards uh, the, the charts there because they've really westernized wise mm-hmm. song. I was so shocked. Uh, there, seven. It's not even their title track. Seven. The seven song called Tally. It had so much cuss words. I was oh, like, really? I was like, who am I listening to? It sounds like Nicki Minaj. Something <laughs> Nicki Minaj would do. It's it's great songs there. I'm not surprised. But let, let's get your take on Blackpink's uh, historic uh, global record or achievement, and of course, uh, maybe even the the future of K-pop as well. Let's start off with you, Tan. Not enough words to describe the unprecedented success of Blackpink. They, like Pogyong said, they became the first. A girl group in Asia to top both the U.S. Billboard and the official charts in the U.K. Uh, if you guys remember, during the initial stages of the Korean wave, before the birth of Blackpink and BTS even, many questioned whether the uh, K Korean wave that we called Hallyu popularity would last. Yeah. But guess what? The popularity is still going strong across the globe. And I think this was possible thanks to prompt support measures, both on government and civil levels. Mm. The culture ministry, for instance, was quick to gauge the immense cultural and economic potential of the Korean wave and has, from very early stages, been providing support uh, in th- mainly in three core areas, in diversifying K-contents, connecting K-culture to various industries, and in building a platform 
through which K-pop can thrive for a very long-lasting period of time. And now the government plans to inject over 125 billion won to help small to mid-sized firms in exploring new K-culture markets this year alone. So that's a lot of money for just one single year. So behind this phenomenal success of K-pop and K-drama and whatnot, were these support measures and efforts uh, and I'm optimistic about uh, the sustainability of K-culture popularity. Uh, Pogyeon, what about yourself? So I've just uh, listened to a piece of news before coming here, and they were discussing about why Blackpink is so popular and why they have become uh, this popular. So it's because uh, the company YG, of which you have the stocks of. No, not no anymore. More, not anymore. <laughs> I, I, I sold it at the wrong time. Let's just put it at that. I okay, sold it at the wrong time. Because you should have kept it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, YG was doing quite well in the overseas markets, even before having Blackpink. So they already had this. They have already pioneered the overseas market. And based on that, uh, I think this uh, that's why they were able to become a little bit more popular because there was already this fandom that was created in overseas market, not only in Korean market as well. But then all these four individual members, they have, let's say, their own Instagram personal accounts. And they have, I think, the, the highest number of followers. One of the, uh, All four of them have, I think, quite a lot of followers. And that's why they've been you know, spreading the words, spreading the news, and they were really promoting themselves not only through their company, but also through their personal accounts. Uh, SNS accounts. And so based on that success, uh, they've become not only themselves became popular, but also the whole music and what I've, whatever they created became, I think, uh, quite popular. Oh, Jaimin, thank you very much. That was the title track to the first out, the official album that I bought, Love Sick Girls. That, that's a, we are the Love Sick Girls. Yeah, I, I remember. Thank you. Yeah. And also because like I played it on like uh, YouTube, like on and on. Like if the YouTube, what is the streaming numbers go up? Mm. Also, like if they hit records, like stock prices go up. Mm. Obviously, I didn't buy the second album because I don't have the stocks anymore. But <laughs> the thing is, no, they're really good. Uh, YG had many legal issues uh, over they the did. past few years, yeah. but still, it was Blackpink mm-hmm. that was able to really keep that uh, company alive. My only thing is, right? Um, so when we talk about some of these like K-pop groups, uh, the biggest thing, the reason why I think this uh, Billboard 200, or was it the Billboard Hot 100s? Uh, billboard stuff like album sales is one thing but i think the other major thing is uh radio airplay uh Mm. whether or not it gets played on u.s radio Mm. uh often and so i mean we've been seeing a lot of that with bts obviously i mean butter last year was Mm. i mean that was like the hottest song of uh, Mm -hmm. summer 2021 uh but my only thing is um and i've had a chance to speak to some people in the united states and how the airwave is like they said well bts songs get played uh, Blackpink songs get paid, played and sometimes like like you rarely have other groups like Twice which uh, Twice is another group that's doing fantastic right mm-hmm. now Seventeen is doing uh, really well but the thing is it's they, they're saying it's always the same groups mm. BTS Blackpink and I think in order for K-pop to really blow up mm. you need to have more groups out there making mm. an impact not just uh, BTS and Blackpink. Not mm. saying I'm not happy with the results. Mm. I'm very happy with mm. the results. 
but you just need to get more of that. Um, although some people might argue all those uh, U.S. tours that uh, you know Twice and uh, what is it, Brave Girls and all those Seventeen, like all these groups have these uh, tours in the United States and they're selling out. Mm -hmm. uh, they're saying it's like impossible to buy. But I think radio airplay. I think that's that's the major thing. So. I think you've raised a very good important point because uh, many critics are also pointing out that those songs by BTS and Blackpink are way too Americanized. So yeah. we need to further diversify right. the actual content, the actual style of the songs as well, because they're tilting a bit, you know, too much towards America. Yeah, they're like yeah, too yeah. westernized, too Americanized. So that's what like the traditional Korean uh, music listeners are saying is now you're not catering to the Korean market, which by, mm. which I understand, fully understand in a business point because you just have far more money, a bigger market in the United States and like in, in Europe and things like that. You have so many more of these uh, listeners. So um, I do understand that. But I mean, you have to understand where it also started from, right? Like here in South Korea. And so, yeah, I, I 100% uh, agree with that. Uh, Chris Rhodes, who, by the way, uh, does reviews for these uh, music videos on his amazing uh, YouTube channel, full-time models, part-time models, streaming music video numbers are easy to manipulate, really? Mm. Uh, in that case, please manipulate my, uh, <laughs> my, my YouTube channel because I'm getting like... Very little views there. Uh, <laughs> tell me how to manipulate that because uh, that's not working for my YouTube channel. Nevertheless, uh, for our reporters, thank you very much for coming in today with your reports and your insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe. We'll see you guys again. Have thank a good you. evening. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.